It is episode six of From the Braves Booth, and it's great to have you with us alongside Joe Simpson and Jonathan Chadwick. Ben Ingram here with you. And wherever you're listening, and that could be all over the globe, we're happy to have you with us. We've heard from folks all over the place, from Europe and other places around the world, and of course right here in Braves country. Great to have you all here with us. You can email us, bravesbooth at gmail.com. We take your questions every single week. And the way that you can shoot us a question, bravesbooth at gmail.com. So, Joe, we had the All-Star break last week, and we've seen a ton of rain since uh, since then. So hopefully we'll see some baseball soon. But we're about to see a lot of baseball in a short amount of time, aren't we? Well, it has to happen that way, Ben. And you're right. Last time we did a game was Sunday afternoon. So it's been a while, and it could be a little bit longer if the weatherman doesn't cooperate. But, you know, these these uh, midsummer storms in the southeast, everybody knows. They just kind of hit you. They pop up, then they move on. And you hope that you can get a game in between. Yeah, you do. And in the meantime, we have lots of time to chat. And I think we're going to have, yeah, we're going to have a little special guest on with us. Uh, joining us right now, just out of nowhere, uninvited. I literally just walked in here. Nick Green. It was told to sit down. I mean, we just, <laughs> when we, we heard you were coming, we thought we might have at least 15 minutes to kind of do what we normally do. But here you come to crash the party. Well, I told Jay Chad 20 minutes, right? Yeah. And I was dead on 20 minutes. That's how good I am. <laughs> That is pretty impressive. You're <laughs> we we better than I am today. I was very late today, by the way. We didn't have time to make fun of you before you got here. So, that, so That's a good thing, because so we'll I just, get it every day. So we'll just do it to you, right to your face. So that'll be all right. <laughs> that's the best way to do it, I think. Well, I, uh, he has made a contribution, Joe, to our maybe our favorite piece of our booth, our new favorite piece of the booth, our bat rack over here. Got us a, a brand new bat rack on the wall that Nick has contributed about, too. Yeah, where'd, where'd that one come from? Oh, yeah, I'm talking about the... Uh, you're talking about the bat. I thought you meant the rack. You had the rack made. Well, we got the rack up. And the rack uh, is just okay, though. The, the, the bat, because the bat, the brown bat is on there, the rack looks good. I see. Okay. <laughs> Mr. Green, uh, where did the bat come from that you uh, so graciously donated? So it came from my garage. I had to pull it out of a bag with cobwebs in it. Um, never used. A 3331 uncupped maple bat black excuse me brown with black labeling with miami marlins on it Man, that's a great description that is it's perfect right yeah thirty three, thirty one. so this was like from uh, little league days or is this actually a bat you might have used in the big leagues i actually would have used this had i played a little bit longer <laughs> but this is a big league bat joe the bat that you have on the bat rack definitely feels like it's from 1975 <laughs> Well, it probably was. It's, it's back when it's back when men played. <laughs> good point. Good point. <laughs> so we've got three bats on the rack. We got slots for maybe a dozen more. But we have a Nick Green bat. We have a Joe Simpson bat. We have a Tom Glavin bat, which looks like a toy. Yes, <laughs> like a toothpick over there. Mm -hmm. How about your bat, Joe? What what size did you use? And is that the size you used for most of your career? Uh, typically, I was a thirty-four and a half, thirty-two ounce. Now, that doesn't sound like that much difference between mine and Nick's, and it's not really, but uh, it was just that I would have gone lighter, but I would have been made fun of, so I, I stopped at 32. Hey, I will tell you this story. Gary Sheffield, in 2002, he's in with the Braves. Um, he has a 34.5, 33-ounce bat, R161, so if you don't know what that bat is, it's a pretty big barrel but it's big got a really barrel. thick handle really thick handle so it's very balanced he convinced me to order 34 and a half 33 ounce bats 
and I dropped tanks. <laughs> <laughs> Just for making that that move. Yeah, you, you know what though? The thing is, it was so balanced, and I choked up a little bit. It was actually a pretty good bat, um, but I couldn't continue to use that. He yeah. he actually said, if I use a C two seventy one, which is your standard skinny handle, skinny barrel bat, he said he would win batting titles. Really? But he wanted to hit home runs, so he used a yeah. good one. Well, Chipper talked about how his uh, bat choice changed when Willie Stargell handed him a bat in Macon and said, you need to swing this. And it was like a 34-ounce bat, and I'll say a 35, 34. And Chipper said, you know, at first it felt like a log, but then when I saw what was happening to the baseball down in Macon, balls going over light towers and stuff, I realized hey, there might be something to this. So uh, I kept swinging, and, and that's he continued to swing a heavier bat his entire career, but it was thanks to Willie Stargell. But I also think that when you look at bats, and, um, you know, Andrew Jones used a 34, 30-ounce bat. It was light. They broke a lot. When you go heavier with the ounces, you got better wood. Yeah. And that's kind of probably what Chipper got. He got True. better wood. You got a P72 like Derek Jeter. Where it was like a kind of like a two seventy one, but without the flared handle, that barrel was so small. You go up on the weight a little bit on that that bat, and it's hard as a rock. It's like a lead pipe, exactly. Yeah, and don't be mistaken, Ben. When uh, Nick Green and Joe Simpson's bad order went in, uh-huh. they're just pulling those little pallets. You know, they're just pulling those little billets. I think they're called of uh-huh. wood. Say, okay, here's here's a dozen for this guy, and here's an order from. Chipper or Gary Sheffield or George Brett. <laughs> Whoa, wait a minute. Let's go through our stock and see what we've got. Yeah, exactly. So I got a story on that too. Um, 2009, I was with Boston. So I ordered 24 bats. And I'm all excited because I've never been able to more than, order more than a dozen, right? At a time. So I ordered 24 bats. Only six were usable. Why? The weight was all over the place. The wood wasn't good. It was just exactly like Joe's talking about. They knew whose bat they were. They just <laughs> gave me whatever is what it felt like. So I used, I literally used six out of 24. Wow. All right, so let me ask you this, because Joe has told me stories several times about when he was playing, if you weren't using a certain weight, you're almost shamed by other players. How much of that happened when you were playing? Not much, because like I said, Andrew Jones used a 30-ounce bat. So if you're going to make fun of anybody, that's not the guy you want to make fun no. of. Right? So, I mean, for me... Um, nobody ever said anything, but honestly, using a 31 and a half ounce bat, 33 inches was the best wood I could ever get. Yeah. But I couldn't use, I couldn't use it late in the season. Uh, I mean, I started the season at 188 pounds and finished at like 173. So now you, you, I had to drop down to like a 30 ounce bat at the end of the year. True. And, and guys do that all the time, right? You get yeah. to July, August, you're dropping weight maybe in your bat an ounce or two. Yeah, that's true. And, um, not too many people realize that anybody who is able to maintain their bat size for the full year, uh, they were either very strong or just very good and able to get enough rest that it didn't affect them. But uh, most guys were dropping down an ounce or so. Can you think of someone off the top of your head, Joe, that would use the same weight the entire season? No. Uh, well, maybe maybe a guy like Willie Horton. Uh-huh. Uh, he, he swung a log, and by the time he had all of his – tacks in it, fixing cracks in it, <laughs> and tape on it. It was up to about 39 ounces, so uh, that was kind of hard to maintain. <laughs> would you would you drop down about the same time every year? And was it all a feel thing? All feel to me. Yeah. 
I would. I still ordered 34 and a half, 32 ounce, and uh, if I needed to, I just choked up. What about you, Nick? I, I pretty much went down about the same time every year. I would start out with 31 and a half, and then drop down around the All Star break to, to 31 or 30 and a half, somewhere in there. Um, but if you start out lighter, then you're not going to go down. But if you start out heavier, obviously, uh, for some of us, we couldn't maintain it. Now, for me, I was a guy that never like to work out during the year. Uh-huh. I would do a little bit here and there. So that obviously didn't help me as far as I was concerned. But, um, you know, it was kind of the same thing every year. I mean, you start out with a little bit heavier bat because you felt good. You felt strong. And then by the midway point, you felt like you were a little bit weaker. And to me, I had to drop down weight. Guys that I played with that swung a heavier bat, 33, 34 ounce. And I, I knew some guys that had a 36, 36. Wow. You talk about a log. Yeah. But they convinced, they didn't convince me. They, their argument was that one, all you got to do is get it started, that the bat helps swing itself if you're strong enough to get, get it going to the baseball. You better pick your pitches right. <laughs> you better make your decision well, well, at the right if, time. <laughs> if, you're, if you're sitting on fastball all the time with a 36-ounce bat, there's no way you're going to stop on a changeup that no you're shot. fooled on. No way. Yeah. All right, well, what we need you to do, Nick, is we need you to, to uh, holler at BJ, anybody else who might have a bat. We need more contributions oh, yeah, to yeah. our bat rack. I'll, I'll see BJ to today, so us. I'll recruit that. Um, you don't want Peter Moylan's bat. I don't even know if he has one. So, well, it can't be worse than Glavs. That's true. I mean, he, he said he had one. He's just not sure that it has his name on it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take That's it. A good one. <laughs> whatever, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Fill that bat rack up. Uh, we'll get Frank Coor, Get one from him when he gets back to work. If he ever comes back. Um, so we, we've got some nominees around here that we can get some from. I have texted Chipper and I've texted Freddie Freeman asking for donations. I have not heard back. So Go down we'll on see. the field, Joe. One time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that'd, that'd be wonderful. That'd be wonderful. I have no no issues about that at all. If they just let us go up by the cage and hang out. Yeah. I saw Chipper yesterday. I should have asked him. You should have told me I would have asked him yesterday. Yeah. I of doubt course. he has one in the dugout, but... Maybe you can find one. Yeah. All right. I want to ask you guys about um, where we are right now. And where we are right now, we're about to see the Braves take on the Padres tonight, then a doubleheader tomorrow. This is a 15-game stretch in 13 days. And if you were on the team, if you were playing, uh, I think your number one concern would be what your bullpen and what your rotation looks like. I think that's what I feel like for this team. And if your rotation is going deep, Joe, you, you should be okay but if they're not, you have one breakdown that could cause a, a domino effect for the ball club. Yeah, I mean, there's some depth with Tukey and uh, Bryce Wilson now named to pitch game one tomorrow or game two tomorrow. So you've got some depth. Uh, it'll be nice to get Ian Anderson back and hope that his shoulder's okay. I, I'm not worried about that, Ben, the mm-hmm. starting pitching near as much as I am about the bullpen because starting pitchers just don't pitch complete games anymore. Right. And not even in seven-inning games are they pitching complete games. So the bullpen's going to get a lot of work. We know they have had their issues. They are, to me, the biggest issue with this ball club right now. The team cannot continue to have to win games two or three times over the course of a game. They've got to protect leads better. So uh, of your choices you just gave me, I'm going to say that there's going to be a big test for – uh, Rick Kranitz and for Brian Snedker to protect the bullpen somehow, some way. And when you look at the rotation, they've been pretty good overall for a while now. Um, you go back to the Tampa series that they just had, they th- started through over 18 innings. So you're going around six innings, just over 
um, six innings, a little bit under six and a third, which is good now. Sure, I mean, it is. That's great. So now you're cutting the the bullpen games down to you know three innings where they've got to cover that. If you can't cover three innings, then you've got a major problem in the bullpen. So I think that as far as Brian Sicker and Rich Kranitz are concerned, they're looking to try to get six out of these guys the way the bullpen has performed lately. Now, if I'm Alex Anthopoulos, I've got to make some moves in the bullpen. Right. And I've been saying this for a while. I need some arms down there that are big-time arms that I can control for more than the rest of this year. And if they can get that, that's definitely going to help because we've already seen Chris Martin struggled a little bit this year, uh, who was supposed to be a big piece. Shane Green coming back has struggled. Will Smith hasn't been the same as he was in San Fran. So they've got some issues, Joe. Well, I, I don't have any problem at all with Will Smith. I, I You look at the, his saves. Uh, two of his blown saves have been with one-run leads. Uh, none with three-run leads. I think one with a two-run lead. I, I got no problems with Will. I just want him to get more opportunities. Right. I want him to get have the lead in the ninth inning. Our problem lately has been the seventh inning. We're giving up leads in the seventh inning and can't get to the eighth and ninth inning, guys. And uh, that is that's the biggest issue for me. And and Nick, agree with me or not, uh, the Braves if they go get somebody, they need some strikeout guys. They need some guys to come in and blow some people away to get out of some jams as opposed to uh, guys that are control artists or ground ball guys. No, I think you got to get you have to get arms that impact the bullpen. Um, you can't just get arms to get arms. And I know everybody says, oh, trade this, trade that. Well, if you have good bullpen arms, are they even available? Yeah. And that's I think that's the biggest issue. I know Alex is on the, the phone line trying to get guys day in and day out. And if they were out there, just like two years ago when he got Melanson Green and Martin, those guys were available at that time. Are they available now? And Alex is willing to go get that if he can. And obviously, we don't know what's out there. We don't know what the asking price is. But, um, you know, the bullpen has been a major issue. If you can get to uh, the seventh inning and have lockdown guys like we talk about with big-time arms, then you're in a good spot. Well, here's another thing I want to ask you, if you feel the same way I do. Uh, when A.J. Minter was here, he and Matzik more or less the same guy. Chris Martin and and uh, Shane Green, kind of the same guy when you bring them out of the bullpen. There, I, I really appreciate what Tampa Bay has in terms of variety, different arm slots, uh, different velocities. I, I think that's very effective when you're running guys in and out real, real often. I do, and if you look at this, the Padres bullpen, uh, you have a lot of guys in that bullpen who throw 95, 96, but they throw a lot of off speed. I mean, so if you if you have just say for instance a Luke Jackson who's a slider guy, right? And then you have a, a guy that's a fastball guy. I don't want two slider guys going back to back. No. I want to mix it up as you said so that you have a different look and that was part of the problem early with the so many lefties in the bullpen. I mean, you're talking about Minter, you're talking about Matzik and Will Smith. There's no variation between those three guys. Mm-hmm. And, and so that is a problem. I think more than anything, when you look at the, the way a bullpen's built, you don't, from the outside, we don't necessarily look and say, okay, well, I don't like the way they have the three lefties. They kind of look the same. You just kind of roll with it. And then all of a sudden the performance isn't there. And you're like, wow, that's a thing. Yes, it is. It's, to me, it's the quickest way to swing a team one way or the other is your bullpen. You can show me a good lineup. You can show me some good starters. And we've seen good numbers from both those elements with his team. 
But if you don't have the pin in 2021, the way that pins are used in Major League Baseball now, that's going to be either the quickest thing that gets you over the hump and makes you a really good ball club, or to me, the quickest thing that, that sinks you. And the number that I can prove with that is looking at what the Braves have done when they have a lead after six innings. They're 40-10 and 10 when leading after six innings. That's 10 losses where you had a lead going to the seventh inning and you lost it. And 10 over the course of 162 might not seem like a lot, but Joe, how many times do you get to the end of the season and you're thinking, man, four or five games the other way? The accumulation of that is what kills you. And if you're at 10 through 90 games, how many losses are you at by the time you get to 162? It might be 15 or 16 games. And therein lies, to me, the difference in your season. Well, let me pile on. Uh, the number that uh, you have used before, and that is the number of losses the Braves have on this season. What is it? 46? 47. 47. 45 and 47. And then 22 of the losses belong to the bullpen. Right. Now, how do you get a loss if you're coming out of the bullpen? A, you either give up the lead mm-hmm. and, and suck up a loss, or you come into a tie game. So those are all important uh, ball games. Those 22 games have been vitally important that if you cut them in half— if you make it 11 losses for the bullpen, think where the Braves would be in the standings. Right. That's a really good point. I was looking at this number, that 40-10 and 10 number when leading after six innings, uh, tied for the most such losses in baseball. Arizona also has 10. The Braves were a perfect 27-0 and 0 when leading after six innings last season. Wow. To me, there's the difference. That's the difference in – because it's, for the most part sh- – Offensively, it's structurally very similar to last year. I know you have a few pieces here and there that aren't the same. The Darno injury, Ozuna's incident, other things. But you've still got some guys who can go up there and hit the baseball, score some runs. And they've lost games or they're scoring five, six runs a right. game. That's the frustrating part. Uh, that's the worst part of all to me is that this is a good lineup and it continues to be a good lineup even with those losses, with the, with the loss of those players. I think that when you look at wins and losses and – the close games, you obviously start looking at the bullpen because we see the numbers, right? But you look at the small things and they're magnified. So, for instance, you have uh, a Charlie Morton hit by pitch in the first inning and then a double scores him. Right. Not typically a big deal, but when you play those close games and something happens late where you blow a lead, now you go back eight innings and you're sitting there going, that what that two-strike curveball hit right. him. If it, it didn't hit him, then it wouldn't be that big of a deal. But when you're talking about a Braves team who struggled to find wins, who struggled to really lock games down to the back end, all those small things matter. Right. And everything's magnified. Just like A.J. Minter the other day, I think he threw 21 pitches and nine strikes. Okay, so if you have a three-run lead, he gives up two, and you have other guys lock it down, then you kind of wash it away. Yes. But as soon as you lose that, then all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, A.J. Minter was terrible today. You know what I'm saying? So, like, it's just a combination of things when you're not winning ball games. Last year, they won a ton of games, right? Right. And, and they won it in different ways. And the bullpen locked it down. The starting rotation wasn't very good. But the offense was great. So you never really looked at those small things, and they weren't as magnified as they are this year. Really shrinks your margin for error when your bullpen is inconsistent. Well, think about it. Another angle here. Um, the Braves' heyday was predicated on pitching and defense, starting pitching and and. Uh, primarily, and defense. John Scherholz was a master at going out and finding arms for the bullpen, sometimes piecing it together in spring training. That's how it all came together. Uh, Mike Cather, Greg McMichael, guys who maybe not weren't even in the organization, but somehow were major contributors to the ball club that particular season. So right now, 
as Nick said, the starting pitching lately has been very good. I think I'd even give them a, a B plus for all the whole year. They, right. They've done a decent job, a real above, better than decent. They've done it for too much straight, at least. And, yes. And your defense, your defense is really tightened up. I know they've had they've had little stretches, maybe a series where they made some errors, but they're still second in the league behind the Giants right now in fewest errors and best fielding percentage. So those two components, starting pitching, defense, it's there. They're scoring runs. That's there. What's not there? The bullpen. I guess the, the good news in all this is you're coming up on the trade deadline. You're four and a half games out of first place as we're doing this podcast right now. So you're not in the West. You would be buried. You'd be a seller. That would be that. Yeah. You're in a division where you still have an opportunity. And, and that's the best news of it all because if you can find a way to add on the right pieces, and it might take two or three deals, you got time to make this thing fly, don't you? Well, I, I, we're, we're not into the questions yet from our fans, but, uh-huh. but that brings me to uh, a very good question uh, from, let me see if I can find it real quick, and that is over the next 10 days, what are the, what's the team have to go? What, what do they have to do? Uh, this is from Christina. What kind of run do the Braves need to go on over the next 10 days to convince Alex to buy or not sell and not sell? What kind of record do they have to have in the next ten games? I mean, I think you've got to be somewhere in that six and four, seven and three range. If you got, you got to get to five hundred first. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah, we're four and a half back of the Mets right now, and that's not that far back. But you can't keep getting close to five hundred and dropping back down. So I think over these next ten days or ten games, you've got to, you've got to win probably seven games. Actually, I think to be honest minimum, with you, at a minimum, yeah. Yeah. At, because of who you're playing. You're playing the second place and the first place team coming up after the Padres, and if you just if you go six and four, you're not gaining any ground on anybody. Right. Only if the other teams lose, yeah, and that's not what you want to count on. No, so I, I think seven and three at a minimum, and I you know eight and two really. And, and the team knows that, and I think that has a lot to do with switching Charlie Morton from pitching the finale tomorrow versus San Diego to pitching Game One versus Philadelphia because you've got nine games against the two teams in front of you. That's the most important stretch of the season, I feel. I think so, too. Because if you can run through that and really take off, uh, then, then you come back home, you got the Brewers, you have an off day, and then you go to St. Louis and you roll into the month of August. But I, I really think that you can put it all on these next week and a half, two weeks, and, and who you play and, and decide what you're going to be. And it's funny because the Phillies are playing really well right now. I uh-huh. think they've won 10 out of 14. And Joe Girardi, their manager, has said uh, primarily their success lately has thanks to their bullpen. Right. Of all things, their well, they, bullpen. They've improved it, too. Archie Bradley, uh, Ranger Suarez, he identified them in particular, have really stepped up in the setup roles to hold on to leads so they can finish things up. So, uh, of all things, for the Phillies, as bad as their bullpen was last year, they're right. really giving them credit now. Doesn't it feel like every year the teams that struggle, the bullpen's bad? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> every single year, right? Yes. I mean, you can have a great offensive team. I go back to 2006 when I was with the Yankees. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we had the best offense I've ever seen. But we weren't built to make a run in the postseason based on offense. The rotation wasn't the best. It was okay. But the bullpen, we had a couple guys that Joe Torre really relied on. Obviously, Mariano Rivera was one of those guys. But Joe blew guys out. Every year, because he went to the bullpen so much, went to the same guys all the time with the leads. He didn't have any depth ever. And we just couldn't last like that. You, you, if I go up and down that roster, 
it, it, we had Posada, Giambi, Sheffield, Cano, Alex Rodriguez, Derek Jeter, crazy, Bobby Abreu, Melky Cabrera, Johnny Damon, Hideki Matsui. Like, how do you lose with that team? Bullpen, bullpen. It's it's not like football. It's not where you know the 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 top team in the NFL is winning 13, 14 games, and the last place team is losing thirty six to six every single week. In Major League Baseball, yeah, the, the Orioles, the Diamondbacks, the Rangers, they're going to lose ten nothing here and there, but for the most part, the accumulation of not having that and blowing a lead, losing five to three, losing six to two, losing three to two, and and that just builds up over time. I don't think that the last place teams are getting their head kicks in, kicked in every single ball game. It, but that one element kills you. But you use the NFL as an example. You got a lead in the NFL, you can run the clock out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can't do that here. <laughs> the complete opposite here. Yeah, that's great. Nick, it's good to see you, man. Yeah, I'm glad I, I stopped in at the right time. By the way, I want your opinion on one of these questions before you leave. We have a, a list of questions. I know JC is going to sit on these, but I, I love this question. Who has the best uniforms in baseball? Oh, you know, um, do you want me to go the City Connect? No. Because I'm kind of... Uh, no. Hold on. Time out, time out. No. The actual okay, uniform okay, so, that they wear. I like this. What is it? Like, the, like the, the Diamondbacks City Connect uniform? I, I can't theirs. remember what it's called. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, like a, a serpent thing. Yeah, it's a serpent. It's it's actually super super cool. Okay, um, but obviously they're gonna wear that all the time. Uh, I like the clean use, man. I kind of I kind of go gotta go with the Dodgers, man. Yeah, just so clean and and I love that white uniform for some reason. Sure. Well, I've said this before with with football, with baseball, with basketball. The best uniforms are the ones that never change. Right. I mean, the ones that change all the time. Well, there's a. Re- that's funny. That's pretty bad. That's kind of who I have. Yeah. I mean, I have a couple of them, and one of them I started with, I, I just love the Braves 1974 jersey that they're going to wear for Hank Aaron yeah. weekend. Um, the white with the blue panels in the sleeves. But my other favorites are um, Boston uh-huh. at their home jersey. Uh, Detroit with that uh, with Old English D. Good call. I love that hat. Yeah. And, and the hat. I, I, I still love the modern crazy uniform of the Oakland A's when they're wearing their gold top, uh-huh. the gold and the green I love. And if you want a, a new team with a little more modern look, I love what Tampa Bay does with their navy blue and the light blue. Right. And they kind of mix it up once in a while. It does look good. It, it looks sharp. See, I'm a color guy. So as far as colors are concerned, I like the Marlins' new colors. I, I love that, like, that red kind of the blue, they didn't have black on black. Yeah, I but I like it. I like that. Yeah, no, that's hard to see. But <laughs> I like I like that blue that they have. That little, it's like a, and just like NBA, like that touch of neon. Right. I like that stuff. I don't like all of it, uh-huh. but I like a touch of it. And I, I think that, you know, with Nike doing the uniforms, you're probably going to see a few more alternates that are kind of a little bit different too. Right. Would you like? Uh, did you ever wear a powder blue uniform for anybody? I did not, but I wore a, a sleeveless in Tampa, and it was the worst thing ever. It was. <laughs> it was the worst thing ever. <laughs> huh, really? Um, no, but I, I wore powder blue in Seattle and Kansas City back when that was popular. St. Yeah. Louis wore them, Philadelphia wore them, uh, and those were fun. Those, yeah. those were nice looking. Um, uh, Philadelphia's in particular with their maroon trim, and that mm-hmm. blue looked really nice. All right, I got to ask you one more question, and I'm a uniform geek. I love this stuff. When you, when you referenced the sleeveless Tampa mm-hmm. Bay tops, were the sleeves on the undershirt stitched to the actual no. uniforms? It wasn't a true No, vest. so we had a dry fit. Oh, that's terrible. We had yeah. a dry fit underneath with a 
Ray's logo on it. Right. I remember these. A heavy, it was back, Joe knows these uniforms. They're heavy. Like now they have those light, uh, kind of breathable uniforms, and they were not. And it was just a bad, bad look. Obviously, we weren't, we weren't a very good team either, but that didn't help. But I just, I just didn't like it at all. I actually liked the original Rays uniforms better than those sleeveless ones. That makes sense. Mm. I like the actual McGriff. vest, like the true vest, and and your whatever undershirt you have is separate, a separate material that's, from the actual. That's uniform. what it was. But you had you had a uniformed undershirt, is what well, you're saying. Well, we had to wear the same. We had to wear the same one. It was just yeah. a dry fit shirt underneath. I see. But I it, what. Once you get out there and wear it, it's not cool. Yeah, it's not cool. Even though, even <laughs> just be cool, man. Even the, even the pirates, even the pirates sleeveless jersey. I don't. I don't. I'm not old? in, man. I'm not in. Okay. The, I did get that old hat. We were in Pittsburgh one year. That old black hat with the circles on it. The circles on it. Yeah, it was yeah. like a little square thing. Yeah, it looked like a conductor. I got I one of those. Called a, uh, <laughs> is it a, a pillbox hat? Yeah, I think that's what they're called. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and then Willie Stargell handed out stars if you did something good. That, that was game. cool, though. That's that where cool. that came from? That's where that came from. I had no idea. Yeah. It was almost like pride stickers on a football yes. helmet. Yes, very it's much. pretty cool. By the way, speaking of that last thing for me, the All-Star Game uniforms, I know you guys probably weren't in on that, but I'll tell you one thing that I did like. I liked, First of all, I like the blue, all blue, for one day. I don't want to see it all the time, but I liked it. But I did like the touch, the star on the back for how many All-Star Games they had. Yeah, that was a good touch. I thought that was cool. That was the one thing that I did. I just miss seeing all the uniforms. I, I think you ought to be able to, each team, if you have a player on your team that's an all-star, like Freddie Freeman's hat. What's he been in, five or uh-huh. six? I think he ought to have five stars on the back that's of cool his hat. That's cool, too. That'd be really cool. His brace yeah. cap. That'd be cool. Good idea. Good to see you, man. Good to see you, boys. Thanks for dropping Thanks in. Thanks for stopping by. I'll come by another day if you want me to. Please do. Okay. Anytime you want, And I'll man. tell you all about the bats and uniforms. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Green hanging out with us. On from the Braves booth, and it's always good to have a special guest. JC's going to jump down here in just a second. We'll start to run through your questions. And uh, again, you can reach out to us, bravesbooth at gmail.com. Bravesbooth at gmail.com. And maybe next week we'll have your. Before Nick leaves, I want him to hear this one question. All right. Okay. And it comes from someone named Paul who says, Who would win an arm wrestling match between Paul Bird and Jerome Jurinovich? And I said, Paul Bird would win that. But I also ranked the pregame and postgame guys, <laughs> and I had BJ. Right. I think Bird, BJ would clean house. Bird, Peter, Nick, Kelly, and then Jerome. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you the only thing about Paul Bird. His shoulder's so messed up, you pop his shoulder in two seconds. <laughs> okay. All right. That's great. Yeah, I think I think BJ would it'd be like the over the top movie yeah. with Stallone. Just make sure that Jerome knows that I put Kelly ahead of him. I will. Okay. That's great. Oh man. JC's on his way. the base the uniform thing to me. I don't. I don't. I'd have, I'd have such a hard time picking one or two. I like the traditional stuff, like you mentioned the the Red Sox homes. I love our home whites. I love the mm-hmm. Dodger home whites, the Giant home whites, the Yankee pinstripes, Cubs, Cardinals home white. Those haven't changed. They've been great for decades. I think that's why I like them. Four come to mind quickly for me: Braves, Dodgers, Cardinals, Yankees. Yeah, you're kind of the same line as I am. Just good traditional look doesn't mm-hmm. change. Hard right. to eat those. All right, fellas, you see any, any questions you want to jump in there with? 
From Spencer, you guys put ketchup on your hot dog. I do not. Absolutely. <laughs> Mustard on one side, ketchup on the other. I don't either, Spencer. And I want to add, have an add on there, and that's no mayo on a cheeseburger either. That is un American. Awful. Okay, I actually do that. <laughs> I actually do mayo. I like mayo on the cheeseburger, not a hot dog, though. No, on, on, a, on a cheeseburger. Come on. I don't mayo? Know. I, I, I dig it. I don't, know, I don't know why. I like it. Un-American. Um, I don't really put anything on a hot dog. I kind of like it plain, as boring as that might be. Uh, this is from Michelle. Do relief pitchers get to practice every day or only when they are called on to pitch? Pretty good question, given the ups and downs that guys can go through when it comes to warming up and getting in a game or not getting in a game. Yeah, and make no mistake about it, Brian Snitker and Rick Kranitz keep track of how many times they get a guy up and maybe don't use him and get him into a game. They they, It's as if they pitched in the game. But we see those guys out playing catch and especially long catch every day to get their arms stretched out and stay in shape. They may not throw a full bullpen, but they play a lot of catch. And as we sit here and we're recording this right now, we're looking out on the field and in left field, all the Padre pitchers are out there and they're getting loose just like most of the guys do on every team before every game. Seems yeah. like if nothing else, if you don't get up that night, if you don't come to the game that night, you're at least doing long toss that day, right. mid-afternoon. Right. They don't go in the bullpen. They stay out on the outfield grass, but they, they do play a lot of catch. Fire away, JC. This is from Austin. He wants to know what you guys do during the off season. And then his second question is, what is your favorite sport outside of baseball, and do you think you could announce a game in that sport? Pick our own friends in the offseason. <laughs> 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 I like to travel a lot. I try to stay on the move, maybe catch a college football game and see some family, You know, go home for Thanksgiving and Christmas and that kind of thing, try to camp out with my buddies back home and just stay going. I don't like to sit in one place for too long. Jonathan? I like to catch my breath, first and foremost, uh, after working essentially every day for over eight months. Uh, but like Ben, travel, see family for sure, and uh, just catch up on all the things you hadn't had time to do over the last eight months. And let me say on, about these two guys, Ben and Jonathan, they, they've traveled the world. They, they have their trips planned out um, uh, very specialized trips that they they go places together uh, along with your friend Janice uh, yeah Janice goes yeah and they've they've been to Europe several times they've been to Iceland they've been to Cuba those are just the ones that I can think of off the top of my head but uh, extended trips and they they do travel the world no doubt about it that's fun stuff would we all say college football is our yeah I like it I would do that but I play golf a lot in the winter time too and um there was um, something in terms of, do I think I could broadcast golf? I actually, for the golf tournament, uh, the RSM Classic down in St. Simons, I walked the course one day for the Golf Channel and just did some, I wasn't on the air. I was just reporting back to the truck oh, in cool. terms of who was away, who was going to hit first, who was putting first, that sort of thing. So that was kind of fun for me that day. That is really cool. I enjoy watching golf, and I enjoy watching tennis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for a number of years, probably a decade plus, I didn't miss a single Falcon home game. Um, but after the Super Bowl debacle, I just it, it, I just haven't been into it as as much. A little numb. I am. I'm still numb. Yeah, I don't blame you. 
I don't blame you being that close. Yeah, I definitely go college football, and I'm and fortunately I've gotten to call some college football in the off season and call the last I don't know half dozen Peach Bowls, which has been a lot of fun. So that's, that's a blast. Cool. Yeah, really, cool. especially when it's uh, been the the semifinal game. Uh, I know we had oh, LSU right. Oklahoma a few years ago, and I know we had Bama and Washington as a semifinal a few years back. So that that's always been pretty fun. We come to the uh, yard a lot. And the three of us talk about movies we've seen or some TV show we've been watching. And ironically, from Linda, what are you guys currently watching on TV? Uh, well, I, I did just hit record on, this is going to bore everybody to death. On CNN, they are doing a documentary on the city of Jerusalem and its history. And I just fired off episode one on Sunday night, a few nights ago. I think it's going to be each of the next few Sundays and talking about the different religions uh, and their origins in that city and what has made that city what it is today as they have, I want to say four major religions that split up that city uh, pretty much across the board. And then you add on on top of that, the Palestinian conflict and there's just such a historical place. And that, outside of doing baseball, I love history. I uh, love history of the world and, and seeing why things are the way that they are. And to me, that's a really interesting one. They did a really nice job in the first episode. Uh, they're going back 1,000 B.C. Uh, to the story of David and Goliath and, and uh, King Saul and David and Solomon and all this stuff. And then they'll interweave uh, the Muslim faith and, and all these other religions as to why that small area of the world is the way it is. So that's what I've been into. I told you it's going to bore everybody to death. <laughs> yeah, I'm Tom and Jerry. So <laughs> yeah. how about you? Uh... <laughs> well, last night when the game got canceled, I got home and I was forced to watch uh, The Bachelorette. Uh, but when that was over, lately I've really gotten into Million Dollar Listing Los mm-hmm. Angeles and Million Dollar Listing New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of those, so I can, I guess, see how I'll never live. Um, <laughs> and... Currently watching the new season of Virgin River on Netflix. What is that? Well, I don't want to ruin it for you. <laughs> okay. Just give me a, a brief little... You're going to have to check it out. Virgin River. Yeah. Right. I'm just thinking about a million-dollar listing in Los Angeles and how that's a one-bedroom right. walk-up, you know, uh, with no windows. There was a house last night on an episode that was on the market for $75 million. Good night. What do you get for $75 million? Not enough. A great view. <laughs> Not enough. I, my goodness. I, one of my favorites is also one of your favorites, Ben, and that's uh, Yellowstone. Yeah. If it ever comes back on. I think, uh, so Costner put out something on his Twitter last week. The new season will pick up this fall. Oh, okay. And the whole thing was it's going to be worth the wait, which the last episode of season three really left us hanging. Yeah, it did. With Explosion and Beth's right. office and Casey having somebody kick his door in and right. Working all that over. stuff. Yeah, so Yellowstone, I'm also a fan of Blacklist. Uh, I, Kathy and I just watched the season ending. We'd taped the season ending episode of that, so we were a little behind on that one. That had a little shocking ending. But uh, in terms of TV, that's it. Um, we got into a lot, as everybody did, a lot of binge watching during the yeah. pandemic, watching a lot of Netflix I watched uh, The series. Office from start to finish yeah. during the pandemic. I'd never seen it. I was rolling. Uh, I've never seen um, uh, Road, no. The guy that was the meth dealer. Breaking Bad. I've never seen one episode of Breaking Bad. Best show I've you ever seen. You watched that whole thing during quarantine, didn't Best you? Best show I've ever seen. I've never seen one. Wow. I've seen a couple, but I need it. J. Chad's the one who got me into it, and I started it. 
and then we started our season last year in July, and I never went back to it. At yeah. some point, I'm going to rewatch the whole thing. Wow. Okay. Hello, Joe and Ben. I am visually impaired and obviously would rather listen to you guys than watching it on TV. Ben, keep it coming with describing uniforms and how the field looks. Uh, us visually impaired listeners wouldn't even know how those things would look if we were even in the park. So enough about me. On to my trivia. How can a batter strike out and make it to third base before the decision of the very next batter? I can think of a couple of ways that this can happen, which leads me to my next question. Has anything like this happened in the major leagues? Thank you for taking my question. Keep up the good work. P.S. Joe, I love the humor during the games. It keeps the dry times exciting. That's from Ron. Thank you, Ron. We appreciate it. Yeah, it's a great question, too. And uh, Ben does such a good job uh, at the beginning of ball games describing what the field looks like uh, in the with the colors of the uniforms and how everybody is dressed. And that gives everybody at home uh, an idea, and especially for here, uh, sight-impaired people, uh, a visual, you know, a mental picture of what the field looks like. And, uh, you know, Vin Scully was one of the best talking about an azure blue sky and describing the, the shade of green of the grass and things like that that I always thought was a, a real talent. But you've got that too, Ben, when you have a, uh, an opportunity to tell everybody listening on the radio what you see since they can't see it. I think that's terrific. Well, I like that Ron pointed that out because I had a, a visually impaired listener when I was doing minor league games and wanted to know about the uniforms and what they look like. And that's when I started describing uniforms because, you know, our listeners, um, you know, e- even if you can see, you're not here and therefore you'd want to know what it looks like. But especially for the visually impaired, uh, it, it is so important to, to describe the details like that. And I learned that when I was, uh, due to that that uh, listener that I had the minor leagues, and that always stuck with me, which is pretty cool. But yeah, there's a way to get for, from on a strikeout, get to third base. Sure, wild pitch. You could make it to first, or the catcher could go get the ball and throw it down the right field line. You could run all the way around to third before the next batter gets up there. Yeah, or some wild pitches, pass balls, steal, steal second, whatever. There are ways to get there. I still keep waiting to see if my. Uh ridiculous triple play takes place without anybody catching the ball remember i ran this by you one day no triple play without a play being made so you got bases loaded right nobody out batter pops it up infield fly he's out runners can run at their own risk runner from first takes off he passes the runner at second base as the ball's coming down Mm -hmm. he's out and the ball on its way down hits one of the other runners at second and third as they're off the bag they're out. It's three outs. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's never going to happen. <laughs> no, it's, it's not. <laughs> but we were sitting around one night, like, and it hit me, like, you could have a triple play without anything even happening. Right. Well, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that would never happen. JC, fire away. My name is Philip Scohen, and I'm from Germany and started listening to your podcast. I love it so far. Here's my question. Since I'm still looking for a favorite Major League Baseball team, why should you become or be a Braves fan and what makes the Braves organization so great? That's a great question. That is a great question. If somebody's wanting to be a fan. Like a free agent fan. Yeah, yeah. Why do I want to pick the Braves? And my answer to that would be Hank Aaron, Dale Murphy, Chipper Jones, Freddie Freeman, Bobby Cox, and the history of the Atlanta Braves going back, this being the anniversary of their 150th year. Uh, it's it's been consistent. It has been here uh, for a very long time. It's not going away. 
It has had its lean years, certainly, but it's had its share, a long list of great players. And in today's game, with so many talented players out there, Atlanta certainly got their share of them, and uh, I think that's a good reason to pick us. That is a great answer. If, if you're into the history of the game, there's as much history here as you want. You can take it all the way back to 1871 and research it. Been in three different cities. Lots of things you can learn there. If you're into the nuances of the game, man, you get some really young, talented, exciting players here who I think are going to be here for a long time. If you're into tradition, I mean, I think about these. Uh, we, we were talking about uniforms earlier. Uh, the tradition of, of that. It's a brand new stadium. Um, and, and I think it's a very passionate fan base and, and a fan base that knows the game. So you're going to meet lots of other people who are equally as passionate and even more knowledgeable, perhaps, than you would be because they've been uh, following the team for so long. So lots of good things to pull from when it comes to pulling for the Braves. I would just say if you like winners, next time you're at the ballpark, Philip, if you make it over from Germany, look at the light standard out in right field and right center field and look at all the pennants. Good call. Yeah. Uh, we got time for three or four more. If you guys see anything that's catching your eye. Uh, I got one from Paul that'll get us all stirred up. <laughs> uh, I hear the discussion about the one leg down style versus two leg squat for catchers. I also noticed that all of the Braves catchers are doing it. Where did that approach come from and why? And my answer quickly is I wish I knew. Yeah. Uh, it's not one that's popular with Brian Snitker. Um it's not one that, uh, and in fact, Alex Anthopoulos said to me one day in the hallway, I don't care how they catch as long as they catch the ball. But in some ways, that one knee down has impaired their ability to do that uh, on balls in the dirt. Well, all I can do is make an observation. I've never played at this level. So anytime I hear guys like you or others who have played who would point out something and saying that this doesn't make any sense. Well, that has a major impact on me. I can observe and say, I don't understand this. I can observe and say, this is leading to seems like way more wild pitches and pass balls, but it really gets my attention when I hear former players talk about a certain element of the game and say, this doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand why you're doing this. And, and to me, I've learned a lot about not just that, but the game itself through people like you, Joe, and, and trying to understand why certain decisions are made uh, from, from a standpoint of an organization committing to uh, a theory of how to catch or whatever it may be. I don't claim to be the know-it-all with re- respect to catching. Certainly, I don't. And all I can tell you is what what I observed and watched uh, when I was coming up and through the history of baseball. Were there other guys that caught on one knee? Yeah, you, you see Tony Pena, uh, Benito Santiago uh, back in the uh, 80s, you'd see a guy do that like that to really sh- kind of show off how flexible they were and everything. But they didn't do it with a guy at third base with a right. game on the line. And the first guy I saw do this not as a uh, way to rest or to show off at catching on one knee in a squat was Tyler Flowers. And there was a strategy to it. There was a reason for it. And I was wondering why he was doing it um, with who was our knuckleballer? Um, R.A. Dickey. R.A. Dickey. He was catching on one knee with a knuckleballer, uh, in, in my opinion, of all things. Right. And he asked me about it in the clubhouse one day uh, in a very professional way. Tyler said, is there something you want to talk to me about? And I told him yes. And he said, well, actually, R.A. wants me down there. He thinks he gets the low strike called. And if it's a high pitch, if it's a high knuckleball, I wasn't going to catch it anyway which 
we could argue about right that maybe you would maybe you wouldn't but that was the first time i saw a guy on one knee from a strategy standpoint you know what it really got my attention this year and we talked about this about a month and a half two months ago dave valley was on MLB Network, yep. former catcher, yep. and he broke it all down one night. And I'm thinking to myself, well, this is a former catcher. He knows way more. He's forgotten more about this than I'll ever learn in my life. I played a long time. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And he was, he didn't understand. And that was the night it really chimed with me. Okay, why are teams doing Because it's not just the Braves. I mean, it's almost across Major League Baseball. We're seeing lots of catchers do this. So what is it about this that is changing the way that catching has been done for 100 years or so. It's supposed to be um, that they get more strikes. They steal more strikes. And I've told you before on the air during a game, I'm all about risk and reward. Mm-hmm. I love hitting and running. I love stealing bases, sacrificing whatever the case might be. I haven't figured out figured out yet what the reward is on this. Right. There is a risk. We already see what the risk is. You don't catch as many balls in the dirt. Uh, but... I don't see the reward. I can't count the reward in terms of strikes stolen every night and quantify how this is better than it was before. Sure. JC, you want to fire away with one more? Yeah. Corey would like to know what happens if you have to use the restroom in the middle of the game. (laughs) You better go. And uh, hopefully your your partner is in the room and he doesn't have to go too. That's true. But uh, we try to time it in such a way that uh, before the game or – when we alternate doing the innings of play-by-play, we have a chance to uh, hop up and, and run to the restroom if we need to. So it gets pretty well coordinated unless they bring up another one of those burritos and then none of us will be here. <laughs> yeah. It'll be dead. just crowd noise <laughs> yeah. for half an hour. Yeah. All right. I'm going to throw one more out there, and this is from Ken. Would you guys rather listen to the organ before the game or music? That's a great question. Isn't it? Yeah. That, that ought to be like a, a survey that they would run, that the Braves would run. Right. Jay Chad, you go first. Organ all day. All right. I love going to Wrigley Field mm-hmm. and listening to that organ, but usually at Truist Park, when I want to say the visiting team is taking batting practice, that's when we hear the organ, and I love it. I would much rather hear that than the music they blare over the PA. Yeah. I, Matthew Kaminsky's really good. He, mm-hmm. He's awesome. Um, I love listening to his music, his organ music, when the other team is hitting and i don't mind music right if it's music that you like well it doesn't even have to be music that i like it just has to be music that is not just so agonizing music that you don't hate annoying (laughs) yes uh the the annoying loudness um of the music uh then i got to go back to the to the organ 100 yeah they typically don't play my kind of music here during BP. It's just not my thing. It's not my jam. Uh, so I'll go with the organ. And, and a lot of that has to do with where you are, too. If I go to Disney World, I want to see Mickey Mouse. I don't want to see Mickey Mouse right now, but if I go to Disney World, I want to see him. Right. If I'm going to the ballpark, I want to hear the organ. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I want to hear the organ all day, every day, but when I go to the ballpark, I do. So I think I'll go, I think we'll make that unanimous. Yes. Three for the organ here. Yeah. Did we have one more we wanted to get in, JC? Yeah, this one from Honey. Um, do you think they would ever go back to TV radio rotation where you all rotate from TV to the radio and vice versa in the bottom of the fifth? I love that because then you got to hear everyone and got everyone's take and personality on the game. That's a great question. You're both looking at me. Uh, You've done it. Yeah, we <laughs> loved it. We we all loved it when we would rotate in the middle of the fifth inning. Um, 
there was some repetition. Sometimes we'd go go back over it. Let's say uh, Skip and I would go to TV, and maybe we'd be covering the same ground that Don and Pete covered, and maybe that's a little repetitious, but maybe it was delivered in a different fashion as well. But we loved it. Fans loved it. Ball club loved it. But in those days, we were all being paid out of the same pocket. Right. We were being paid out of the TBS pocket, whether it was from TBS uh, broadcast or Turner owned Atlanta Braves. We were all under the same in the same family. That's no longer the case. They're separate families, and it'll never happen again. I don't think. If we were to do that today. When you guys got up to go over to the TV side, would I get to go with you, or would I have to stay here and work with Chip and Jeff? You got to stay here. You get the raw end of that deal. Then I don't want to do it. (laughs) Okay. I do think that there is a possibility. It could be a while. I think there's a chance this could happen again somewhere, and the reason I say that is is because there are more and more teams that want to start their own television networks. We've seen that with the Yankees. We've seen it with the Cubs. And if they have control of both broadcasts, you could do that. And I, I don't I mean, not to get into the business side of things. I don't, I'm, I'm sure Bally is paying a ton to put Braves games on television. But if teams started to get interested in bringing it all in-house, you could see that again. And I think we, I don't know mm-hmm. if that that's not necessarily what you might see here. Mm-hmm. But I think you might see that with other teams over the next 10, 15 years. There were even executives um, not that long ago who were trying to figure out a way to do that, uh, that were executives at Turner Sports, Mm -hmm. uh, that even though TBS was not carrying the games 100% anymore, they were trying to figure out a way to alternate radio and TV. But when you had separate entities being paid by different people, then how do you do do what you're talking about, Ben? And that is... um, your salaried employees. Yeah. You, you, you got to figure out a way how to do that. Major hoops you'd have to jump through. But yeah, major. It's possible. We'll see. Yeah. But as it is now, we're happy to have you all tuning in nightly on the Braves Radio Network. And that'll wrap up episode six of From the Braves Booth. Thanks again to Nick Green for jumping in with us. And that's another reason to tune into our show. You never know who's going to jump on the air with us uh, week to week. Uh, we'll be with you again next Wednesday, or next Tuesday, I should say, Tuesday evening. And uh, wherever you're tuning into your podcast, subscribe, hit the like button, and we'll be with you every week through the end of the season. For Jay Chad, for Joe, I'm Ben, and you have been inside the Braves booth.